Amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Well, good morning. We're glad you're here this morning, and today we are going to continue in our journey of the getting the story straight as we work through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is on the hillside and he's teaching the greatest sermon ever. And so we're going to continue to work through that. And if you haven't been here, uh, I'm going to kind of catch you up. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning, Matthew 6. But if you haven't been here, let me kind of catch you up to speed. As Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, the first part of chapter 5, he really talks about the qualities of being his follower. What does that look like? And he ends that section with reminding those who want to buy into and follow him that they are the salt of the earth and they are the light of the world. Meaning, he is going to pass the baton down to those people to carry the mission of Christ throughout all the world. That's us. That is our story. We are salt of the earth and light of the world. And then last week, we talked about how Jesus kind of moved on from there and talked about what is the standard of living for those who are his salt and his light. And Jesus dealt with a ton of issues from from lust to adultery to oaths to divorce to loving your enemy. I mean, he he covered a lot of territory. And so today we're going to kind of move into the next section in chapter 6. Now, before we get to chapter 6, the passage I want to look at, the passage right in front of that that we're not going to be able to cover today, the first few verses in chapter 6, Jesus talks kind of about, (coughs) excuse me, social justice. Talks about giving to the needy. And his whole premise is this. Don't do what the Pharisees do. And you know what the Pharisees do? They think that they have arrived, and what they do is they want to be seen. So when they give to the needy, they want the world to see that they're giving. They want everybody to know, and Jesus says, don't be like that. Be benevolent, but do it with a humble heart. And then Jesus moves into a passage. It's one of my favorite in the Gospel of Matthew because he talks about a topic that needs to be a part of every believer's life. And he talks about the topic of prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I've been in churches before when prayers talked about, we all kind of have the mindset of, I know, I know what prayer is, I know it's talking to God, and we kind of, kind of blow it off. But here's what my, my, my thing is this, is that as I talk to people, and have been around people, one of the struggles that many people have when you talk about prayer is I can't tell you the number of times I've heard this, I just don't know what to say. When I pray, what, what, is, what does that mean? I mean, do I have to like pray in like with like really eloquent words? Do I, I heard one guy one time many, many years ago pray King James. I mean, that was a really interesting prayer. I mean, he threw the these, the thous, and the those in. Like, do we pray like that? I mean, what do I say? I mean, God, I am a friend of God, but yet he is a holy God. So how do I, how do I address him? And so for many believers, and maybe you, there's this confusion over what does it really mean to pray the Lord. And well, the good thing is Jesus didn't leave us this up for debate. He told us exactly. So Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And there's really three sections that I want to break this, these few verses, Matthew 6, 5 through 13, down into. The first one is this, is that Jesus says, when you pray, <clears throat> excuse me, when you pray, verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5, the first part, he says, and when you pray. Now, you may be aware of this, but in Matthew chapter 28, and in verse 19, Jesus says, go make disciples, right? You, you've heard that before, go make disciples. Well, the original translation implies, as you are going, make disciples. So Jesus has this assumption he's making for believers that as they go on their day, they're going to be about one agenda, that's make disciples. Well, that same mindset's true here. He says, when you pray, the implication is, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is a non-negotiable. If you've bought into him and you're following him and you're living for him, when you pray, it's not if you pray, it's when you pray. Now, why would Jesus say that? Because prayer 
is the communion of the soul toward God. That's what prayer is. It's, it's the communion that we have with the eternal God. That's really what it is. It's our souls communing with him. In fact, if you were to read some of the Psalms, and I won't have time to go there today, but it really the psalmist tells us what prayer is. He says this in this book, Psalms 25, says that prayer is lifting our soul toward God. In Psalm 62, it says that prayer is pouring out our heart toward God. In Psalms 86, it says prayer is crying out to God. In Psalm 73, it says prayer is drawing near to God. And then in Job, it says that prayer, that prayer is seeking God. Now, here's what I want you to hear me say today. Prayer is not this casual thing where we just kind of throw up a few, hey, God, could you help me moments, or treat God like a vending machine moment. Prayer is, I mean, when you read it in Scripture and you look at what Jesus says and other passages say about prayer, it's this idea. Prayer is all about intimacy and vulnerability toward a Heavenly Father. That's what prayer is. And so as we go through this today, I don't want you to backtrack and go, you know, prayer is not significant. Prayer, listen, prayer is our way to communicate with our Heavenly Father. Now, the problem with most of our praying is, we won't really get into this much today, but the prayer with most of our praying is this, is that we do all the talking, right? Anybody struggle with that one? Right, I got to get my list out toward God because God needs to know my list. Well, the part of prayer is not only just praying and talking to God, but it's also what? Listening, like your marriages should be, right? Or your relationships should be. How well do your relationships go when you don't listen? How well do they go? Is intimacy built? No. And so he says, listen, when you pray, meaning if you're a follower of me, this is what you're going to do. Praying is part of your life. And then here's the second section he jumps into. He says this, pray not. Look with me in verse, last half of five. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they might be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now here's what Jesus says, pray not like, and he gives us two kinds of people. First of all, he says, pray not like the hypocrites. Now, he tells us how the hypocrites pray, right? They go to the street corner. They stand up to pray. Remember, I told you the story last week, the story that Jesus talks about where this Pharisee that stands and prays and he holds a cloak of his garment and this, this tax collector, or the sinner rather, comes and he prays and he's knelt down and the prayer of the Pharisee is, God, I thank you I'm not like that sinner. And the sinner's prayer is on his knees and saying, God, just have mercy on me. And then Jesus asked this question, which one do you think left justified? Well, it's the guy who prayed that was on his knees asking for God's mercy, not the one who was saying, God, thank you, I'm not like this guy. Now, why would Jesus point that out? Because the Pharisees were all about the pomp and circumstance. They were all about being seen. And if you remember in chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, the kingdom of heaven is not even an option for you. Meaning, if you want to live life like they did, and it's all about the external things, man, you've missed it. It's about the heart. And so these hypocrites, they're, I mean, they're just standing and praying. All they care about, they're not praying to God. They care about being seen. Have you ever known anybody like that? Have you ever known anybody like that? They will do really awesome things, but they want to make sure people, they have an audience, and people see what they're doing. They're hypocritical, right? Now, he says, I don't want you to be like that. He says, rather, 
He says, I want you to pray to an audience of one. Now, who's the audience? Who's the audience? Our Heavenly Father, right? Our audience is of one. Not that we pray so people can see us and people, people can marvel at us, but we pray to a Heavenly Father. We have an audience of one. Now, the importance of what Jesus is saying, now, some people get caught up when he says, hey, go to your house and shut the door and, and pray in private. Listen, the important part is this. The important part of prayer is not the words you say. The important part of prayer is not the location where you pray. The important part of prayer is the intentions of your heart. That's what he's drilling down on. That if you're going to pray and you have this deep desire, it's not about it being a public spectacle. It's about getting alone with your heavenly father and pouring your heart out to him. Don't be like the hypocrites who want to be seen. If you want to approach me, man, do with everything in you. And then he says, hey, don't, don't be like, no, like the hypocrites. He said, but don't be like the Gentiles, right? And he tells how the Gentiles pray in, in verse 7. He said they throw up empty phrases like the Gentiles do because they want to be heard for they think that if they, all these words are head, heard that somehow God is going to honor them. So what are the Gentiles? How do they pray? They just throw up these empty phrases. In fact, the Greek translation there is thoughtless chatter. Have you ever talked to someone who could talk a lot and say nothing. Anybody ever know somebody like that? Come on. They're not in the room. I know. So you can show me. You know somebody like that? Yeah. Only Sylvia now. Okay. So you probably know that person, right? He said that, that is the Gentiles. I mean, they can pray and they have these, and I'm not saying long prayer. It's not what he's saying. The length of prayer is not bad. He's just saying that these people talk and pray a lot and they say absolutely nothing. Meaning their hearts aren't in what they're saying. They're just saying it because they think it's right, not because it's the cry of their heart. He said, don't pray like them. Rather, he says this. He says, rather, pray knowing that your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. Did you know that? Come on, did you know that? Do you know that God knows every need that you will ever have before you ever know it? Did you know that? So when you pray and say, God, this is a need that I have in my life, it wasn't like the Heavenly Father looks to the Trinity, the Father and the Son, and go, hey, did you know that? That caught me off guard. No, 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 he knows everything. He says, listen, when you pray, I want you to pray knowing that God already knows your need. He knows it. So when you pray, don't pray empty words. When you pray, pray seeking the wisdom and the help of your Heavenly Father. So Jesus says, don't pray like this. Don't pray like the hypocrites, shallow. Don't pray like the Gentiles that are selfish. And then he tells us a third thing I want you to look at where we're going to spend some time. He says, pray this. And I want to read the whole passage here. This won't be on the screen, but I want you to read the whole passage. It's a passage you all know, you're all familiar with, but it says this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus said, listen, that's how you pray. Now, I know for many people, we look at that prayer, which is, come on, let's be honest. Could you say a prayer any better than that? I mean, he is the son of God, so that's pretty perfect, right? And so, but the point is, Jesus is not saying, regurgitate this. That's not his point. There's some elements in this prayer. There's actually four elements that I want us to kind of pull out that I think Jesus, when we pray, we need to focus on. Here's the first one, Father. We need to focus on our heavenly Father. Let me go ahead and give you the other three, then we'll come back to them. The second one is, 
Father, then you've got food, forgiveness, and freedom. I apologize for the alliteration. It just hit me, okay? So it's Father, first of all. And notice what he says here. Our Father. That's how the prayer is addressed, right? When you write a letter, how do you address your letter? Dear whomever, right? He says, Our Father. Now, what is the importance of saying Our Father? Because when we say Our Father, what we're saying is that we are praying to the Eternal One, right? We're praying to the creator of the universe. I don't, I don't know if you think about this or have thought about this, and this just kind of blows my mind, but when I pause and I pray and I seek him, I'm not just talking to Elijah. I'm not just talking to my wife. I am praying to the creator of the universe. I am praying to the one that spoke six times and said, let it be, and it was. That's who I'm praying to. You pray to the same person, Right? That's who you're praying to. And I think the beautiful thing about this prayer is Jesus reminding us who you're praying to. It's not another person. It's not a nobody. This is God, the Father, the Eternal One, the Supreme Being, the One that holds all the world together in the palm of His hands. That's who you're crying out to. And I'm thinking, wow. Because Scripture also tells me that as I pray to Him, He's the one that's mindful of me. Right? He's the one who loves me and protects me and says he'll be with me because the name Jesus Emmanuel means God what? With us. See, that's who we're praying to. He says, pray our Father, the Supreme One, the Eternal One, who are in heaven. Now, the location is not the point. He's not saying that because God is in heaven that that somehow that 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 is the point. No, 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 no. The point is in heaven means that he is the one who reigns supremely. That he's the one who rules supremely. He's the one that holds all things together in his hand. He's the one, listen, who has every resource at his disposal. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, if God is for me, who could be against me? Because I don't know about you, but with God on my side, nobody stands a chance. The enemy doesn't stand a chance. Evil people doesn't stand a chance. Nobody can stand against my God. Do you believe that? Say amen. Man, I hope you do. And so he says, pray our God, our Father who are in heaven, meaning the one who's not only supreme and eternal, but the one who reigns and rules and holds everything in the palm of his hands. That's who we're praying to. Do we get that this morning? And he listens to us. Exodus chapter 3, God speaks to Moses. And he says this, and I love this. I have it underlined in my Bible because I always go back to it when he says this, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. You know what that means to us? God hears us when we pray. When we cry out, God does not turn a deaf ear toward us. God hears us. Is that good news? Come on, is that good news? You're praying to an eternal one who reigns and rules and controls all things. He says, our Father who are in heaven hallowed be your name, meaning holy is your name. That's what it means, hallowed. And, you know, I'd be interested here, just a real pause here, how many of us pray prayers that are hollow, and how many of us pray prayers that honor God as hallowed? We could talk about that all day, couldn't we? Hallowed be your name. Uh, your name even, even paints the picture of the character of your holiness. Even your name tells us that you are holy God. Now, by holy, I mean that God is set apart, that God is different, that God's not like every other false God that's being worshipped. He is different. 
He is holy. In fact, when you look through Scripture, you can even go back to the Old Testament. There are different names for God. There's, there's the game, name Yahweh. There's the name Elohim. There's the name Adonai. There's the name Jehovah. There's different names for God. But even those names declare the holiness of God, how he's set apart. For example, Jehovah Jireh means the Lord our provider. Even the name Jehovah Jireh tells me that my God is different because he's an eternal God who provides for human beings like me, right? Then you've got Jehovah Shalom, our God, our peace, that our God is so set apart that he is the one who offers his children peace. He doesn't just chastise us and leave us alone and go, you know what, you've rebelled so much, I'm done with you. He offers us a path to peace with him. Why? Because he is holy. He says, pray this, our Father, the eternal one, who are in heaven, who controls and reigns everything, who is holy, then pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is where? In heaven. You know what we're to pray? Lord, I want your will to be my will. And I want your will to reign and rule on this earth as it is prevailing in heaven. See, isn't that what Jesus prayed when he was in the garden? He said, Lord, if this cup can pass it for me, let it be so, but not my will, but what? Your will be done. Isn't that what prayer is supposed to be for us? It's an acknowledgement of who God is, that he is eternal, and that he's in heaven, and that he reigns, and he rules, and he's holy. But at the same token, go, okay, God, because you're holy, and because you reign, and because you're eternal, my prayer is that your will would be my will. It's not Doug's will anymore. As a born-again believer, it's not about what Doug wants. It's about what God wants for me and what God wants to do through me. It's not my will, but I want your will to be my will. And I want your will to prevail on earth as it prevails in heaven. So when we pray, Father, we are praying to the eternal one who is holy, who reigns, and we're to pray and ask God to have his way and his will carried out in our lives and in the world we live. And then the second one, the second area he talks about is food. Look at verse 11. It says this, give us this day our daily bread. Now, real quickly, we, we kind of know this, but what does bread imply? Is bread talking about the food we need to eat? No, no, no. Bread is implying the physical needs that we all have. We all have physical needs. And he says this, give us this day our daily bread. The word give here is not a command. It's not even a request. In the original language, it's the implication that, God, I'm the one who depends on you knowing my needs and providing for them. So when we're to pray, God, give us this day our daily bread, we're not saying, God, I demand this of you. We're saying, God, I know that you're the only one who can provide what I need today. Now, that's physically. That could be, you could even take that into the realm of the spiritual needs to prepare you for the day. But when we say, God, give us this day, the word give is really the implication of, God, I am so dependent on what you provide for me. And then he says, do it daily. Do you know this? And and I don't want to burst your bubble. But you need him every day. Did you know that? I need him every single day. I'm flawed. I'm sinful. I'm rebellious. When you leave Doug to his own opinions and his own reasoning and his own rationale, I will always do the wrong thing. That's why I need him. I need him to intervene and to guide me and to direct me and to direct my path. I need all of that. He says, so when you pray, pray, Father, but also pray about food. Pray that God... 
Would you give me today? Would you, would you know that I'm depending on you, Lord, for my daily bread? I know you know my needs, and I need you to provide them. Now, let me just say this to you. This flies in the face of what the world is trying to teach us. Hey, here's, here's Randy, you know who you need? You need you. You be the best dadgum you you can be. Ron, you know who you need? You, you need you. Ron, Jerry, you know who you need? You need you. You be the best you you can be, and you provide for yourself, and you take care of yourself. Whatever path you've got to do to get there, you just do it. Whatever need you need met, you figure out a way. You just need to be the best you you can be. And Scripture would say, eh, wrong answer. You know what I really need? I need him. Now, you know why the world teaches us that? It's because the world thinks dependence is weakness. I would say dependence is biblical. And it's holy. I need him. We need him. And he says, so pray to him for your daily needs. And then he goes on and says this. Forgiveness. The third thing is forgiveness. He said, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, this is a tough issue here. We're going to come back to this in just a minute here. He says, but forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, he says, our debts. What's he referring to? He's talking about our sins. Forgive us our sins. Now, I want to jump off into a little theological mutt, and then I'm going to jump right back out of it, okay? So you ready for that? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Okay, great. So there's truly two kinds of forgiveness as believers we receive. Number one is forgiveness for our sins, eternal forgiveness. The moment you repented of your sins and trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, your sins were forgiven, past, present, and future. He has canceled your debt, never leveraged it over again. Your eternity is secure. Amen? That's forgiveness. But we also need to ask God forgiveness on a daily level. Now, you say, well, Doug, that seems kind of counterintuitive and productive. Well, here's what I mean. Am I, I'm not asking God to forgive me on a daily basis to regain my salvation that I've lost, because that's not true. What I'm asking God to forgive me is because I want him to restore the relationship that I have broken because of my sin. Right? So, for example, Sonia and I are married, right? So we've been married for almost 25 years now. Now, when I do something terribly wrong, which never really happens in our household, and she gets really upset. That wasn't that funny. So anyway, when, and when she gets upset with me, we, we and, and you know, can I, can I, I'm going to tell the story anyway, just because we were married the first year. She actually threw a plate at me. It was awesome. And it was the worst kind of plate. It was a Corel plate, which doesn't even break, you know? And so she probably would have taken me out. But anyway, with my, with my ninja skills, I was able to avoid it. So anyway, uh, but at the end of the day, while the relationship had been fractured, the fellowship had been broken, we're still married, Right? See, when you said yes to Christ, nothing can take that away from you. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, period. No one's pulling that away from you. John 10, 20, says that when you've received eternal life, that you're in the Father's hand, and nobody, no one, nothing can pluck you out. That's eternal security, okay? But I ask for forgiveness because I know that I still sin. Do you still sin? Do you still sin? Yes. What happens when we sin? Well, our relationship to the Lord gets fractured and our fellowship gets broken. And when I'm praying for God to forgive me, it's not for my eternal salvation. It's so that I, forgive me, Lord, for breaking your heart. And would you help me restore this relationship? If you're with me, say, I'm with you. So I ask forgiveness for salvation, but daily I'm asking forgiveness so I can restore the relationship I have with my Heavenly Father because I'm the one who breaks it all the time. He says, forgive us our debts. Now, here's the crazy part. As we forgive our debtors, this is where we all hate it, Right? We, we want God to forgive us. But now Jesus is saying, when you pray and you ask God to forgive you, also acknowledge that as you have received forgiveness freely and continually, that you're going to offer that same forgiveness freely and continually 
to other people. Because people are going to hurt you. He says, so when you pray and you ask for forgiveness, you're praying not only for God to forgive and restore your relationship, but you need to forgive that God, that pray that God would give you the strength to forgive other people. Now, forgiveness is obviously a huge deal for Jesus. Because look down in verse 14. Because after Jesus prays this awesome prayer, he comes back to one topic. And that one topic is forgiveness. Look what he says here in verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Now, if you want to talk about something that could pierce our hearts, it's that verse. Because let me tell you what Jesus is saying. If you are determined not to show forgiveness to someone else, that's because you've never truly received the forgiveness that I offered. Because I don't know about you, but I just know me. When I really sit and think about the magnitude of how I have been forgiven for my sins, how dare I not forgive someone else who's offended me much less than what I've offended my God with? Right? How dare I? And if I'm unwilling to forgive somebody else, that means I've never, now I'm not talking about struggling. Listen, we've all been hurt and we wrestle with it and we know, for, I'm talking about someone who says, I refuse to forgive this person. The, the, the sin, the trespass is so great and so far out there, there's no way I'm going to forgive them. Those people who have that mindset is a reflection that you've never truly received the forgiveness of your heavenly father. Because when you've received it, listen, when you receive it, you want to give it, don't you? When you receive it, you want to share it. And there's no trespass that could ever come against you that is greater than your trespass against your heavenly father. So if you don't forgive others, he says, your heavenly father won't forgive you. Then he goes on, basically when you pray this prayer of forgiveness, we are praying realizing that we need to restore relationship with the Lord and that we need to have a desire to restore relationships with other people by forgiving. Like last week we talked about anger. And I talked about for some, some people in the room, maybe you need to make a phone call, a text message. There's somebody in your life that you've offended, and you need to go make it right. Well, let me say this. Maybe there's somebody that's offended you, and you need to extend forgiveness. Well, Doug, what if they don't ask for it? I don't care. Well, Doug, I need them to admit that they've done this, that. No, 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 you don't. You need to forgive them their trespass. Now, is forgiving them forgetting it? No. Only God can forget. Uh, uh, Jeremiah, I remember their sins no more. Only God can do that. Is forgiving someone saying that you're okay with what they did? Absolutely not. That would be foolish. In fact, I would say sometimes forgiveness is remembering. So if someone's being abused by someone and you forgive them, remembering means I don't want to be around that person anymore, right? That's okay. But forgiveness means I'm canceling your debt and I'm never going to leverage it over you again. And so most of the room today, if we have been forgiven, maybe there's somebody we need to offer forgiveness to. Maybe someone we need to restore that relationship with through forgiveness. So he says, pray this prayer. Father, food, forgiveness. And the last one is this, freedom. Look in verse 13. He said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this is an interesting phrase, this lead us not into temptation, because does God tempt us? No. God tests us. Who is the great tempter? Satan. So this is one of those really weird phrases when it translates from Greek to English, lead us not to temptation. That's, not, that's really not the essence of what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, God, would you guide my steps so that I wouldn't fall into temptation? Right? That's really what he's saying. He's like, hey, God, would you, you need to pray that, hey, Lord, you know, would you, would you guide my steps? Would you guard my ears? Would you guard my eyes? Would you guard my heart so that I won't fall into temptation? Then he says, deliver us from evil, meaning when I do fall, when I do, because listen, don't we all fall? Don't we all fall? 
Okay, some of you aren't shaking your head. Well, you do. I promise you, right? We all fall. But when I do fall, God, deliver us, meaning rescue me. Be there for me. Provide for me. Be present with me. He says, listen, we have freedom, and we need to pray with that freedom that God would not lead us, that God, that God would guide our steps so that we would not fall into temptation. But when we do fall, he would be quick to be our rescuer. He would be quick to be right there with us. So when we pray, we would pray asking God to guide our steps and to rescue us. Now listen to me just real quickly. Jesus told us how not to pray, like the hypocrites and the Gentiles. And then he told us how to pray. We need to pray declaring the holiness to the eternal one that we worship and we pray to. And we need to pray acknowledging our dependence on his provision for our life, how we need him. And we need to pray acknowledging our need and our dependence on his forgiveness to restore our relationship with him every day because we break it. And we need to pray and, and, and show our dependence and our need for him to rescue us and to guide our steps. That's how we're to pray. So here's my question. Do our prayers look like that? Come on, just look at me real quick. Do our prayers look like that? When we pray, do we just spend time bragging on who God is? When we pray, do we spend time acknowledging our own, our own limitations and how much we are in desperate need of God providing for us today? When we pray, do we spend moments of just crying out about God forgiving and restoring our relationship to us? And do we take moments and pray about how God would guide our steps every pass so we wouldn't fall into it? Do we pray like this? Here's how most of us pray. We treat God like the eternal vending machine, right? We put our prayer in, push the button, pull it down, and hope it comes out while we ask for it. That's not prayer. That's selfishness. So here's what I'm going to ask you today. There's three things I want you to write down, okay? This is not in your listening guide. I want you to write it down, though. The first thing, because these are three things I think you want to remember, and it's this. First of all is this. When we pray, we're not informing God. We are involving God, and you need to know that. When you pray, you're not informing him. You're involving him. You're declaring your need for him. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. When we pray... We're not changing God's mind. He's changing our mind. Because when I pray, I'm praying, Lord, not my will, but your will. Third thing I want you to write down is this, that when we pray, we're not getting our way, but we're yielding to his way. See, that's a different kind of prayer, isn't it? That's a different kind of heartbeat of a prayer. To pray and say, okay, God, I'm not informing you. I'm involving you. I need you. God, I'm praying not because I want to change your mind, but because I want my mind to be changed with you. God, I'm not, I'm not praying because somehow I want to get my way. I'm praying because I want to yield to your way and to your path. That's a different kind of prayer. So here's what we're going to do today. If you're, if you're here and you say, you know what, you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, here's my prayer for you. That there would be only one prayer that you would pray today, and it's the prayer of salvation. That you would pray and acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you have rebelled against God, but you want to trust him as the Lord and the Savior of your life, that you yield your life to him today. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray for all of us. But if you'll pray that prayer, I'm going to ask you to just write that on your, your, your connection card today. Acknowledge that. Drop it in the offering plate. Leave it at the front desk where Lawrence is going to be when we leave today. Just drop it off because we want to know if you made the decision. But for the rest of us in the room that are believers, I have a special invitation for you today. We're going to spend some time, listen to him, we're going to spend some time doing this. In fact, in just a minute, I'm going to pray for you. And as soon as I say amen, I want you to do two things. Everybody say two things. I don't, so two things. Say two things. 
I want you, I want you to do this, all right? This, this is the heartbeat of today. And amen, I'm going to pray for all of us. I'm going to say amen. Here's two things I want you to do. First one, I want you with the best you can with your head bowed and your eye closed. If you have to look at the screen, fine. But I want you to spend some moments, and I just want you to brag on God. Pray. Say, God, you are so holy. God, when I think about how big you are and how magnificent you are, I'm blown away that you even care about me. Spend some time talking to your father. And then I want you to spend some time after that talking about your provision, how you, every day you need him more and more. And would he provide for everything, everything he knows you already need? Would he meet those needs? Cry out to him. Then I want you to pray for forgiveness. Say, Lord, there's some times I break our relationship because I sin. And would you restore that? And for those who I have broken relationship with, would you help me restore those? I want you to pray that. And then I want you to pray about your freedom. Say, Lord, would you guide my steps? God, because when, tr- when I trust myself, it doesn't go well. And so I want you to take a moment today. As we've talked about, Jesus said, pray this, and we've talked about it. I want you to do that. Is that okay? I want you to, not between, it's, it's not between you and your wife or your husband or between you and your This is between you. I want for a moment, in just a moment, you to pray to an audience of one these things. That's number one. Number two, after you've done praying, believers, for those of you that are born again believers who trust Jesus with your life, the second thing I want you to do is this. I want you to go back and I want you to celebrate these things. Say, Lord, thank you for providing Jesus the greatest provision I could ever need in my life for salvation. Lord, thank you for the forgiveness I find in the cross of Christ with his death, burial, and the resurrection. And Lord, thank you, thank you that I've trusted in my life and that the Holy Spirit is in me to guide me and direct me. So I want you to pray this, but then I want you to come back and celebrate how Jesus Fulfill this for you. And then when you've prayed it, after number two, I want you to come as a believer and come to the table. Come to the table, and I want you to take the bread, and I want you to dip it into the juice and take it, the Lord's Supper, as a reminder of the body that was beaten for us and the blood that was shed. So believers, first of all, I want you just to pray. Number two, I want you to celebrate what God has done in this area, and then I invite you to join me at the tables taking the Lord's Supper. If you understand what I'm asking you today, say, I got it. All right, let's go to our Heavenly Father. Can you do that? Let's just, every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's just approach his throne today. Just the best way that you can, if you can just kind of block out anything around you, the best you can. And I'm going to pray for us. And if you don't know Christ, please pray that prayer. Please acknowledge that and ask him into your life and let us know that. But if you're a believer, today's huge. Today's the day where we can cry out and pray the way Jesus asked us to pray. Today's the day we can celebrate these things. And today's the day that we get to come take the Lord's Supper as a celebration of what Jesus has done for us. So let's pray. God, I love you and I thank you for today. And I thank you for the words of Jesus, the powerful words of Jesus about how we're not to pray, but how we are to pray. So God, I, I thank you for that. I pray for that for believers that today was a great day of clarity. Today was a great day of not wondering, what should I ever say? We know what to say. We know we need to spend time bragging on you. We know we need to spend time talking about how we need your provision for our life. We know we need to spend time thinking about and talking about to you how we know we wreck our relationship, but we need you to restore that. God, we know we need to pray and, and ask you to guide our steps. We now know how we're to pray, Lord. May we be faithful to do that. So God, I just pray over this next few moments as there's quietness in the room that believers would pray, pray these things. And then we would celebrate how Jesus fulfills these things in our lives for salvation. 
And that out of that celebration, then we would come to the table and take the supper. So could I ask you to be with us today? Bless us. Move in this place. For it's in your holy son's name we pray. Amen and amen.